Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where two friends get together and talk about the story behind the matches. I'm Matt. And I'm Michael. Welcome to episode 44, Wrestlemania 6. The ultimate challenge. Who's going to be challenging? Uh, I think Coco Beware. Is... Coco Beware does have a challenge. <laughs> Who looks prettier, right? <laughs> yeah. Probably more fun to hang out with than uh, old Hellwig. That's his shoot name, right? Yeah, or Hogan, or, <laughs> or as you like to call him, Terry. Terry, yes. Fucking Terry. WrestleMania six is the sixth annual WrestleMania produced by WWF. Obviously, makes sense. Mm-hmm. The event took place on April first, nineteen ninety, at the Sky Dome. So it's uh, what is April first? It's not a joke. We really did have this show. Yeah, yeah, but like I call April Fool's Day. That's what yeah. it's called. I was, I was blanking. Uh, and the Sky Dome's in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. The attendance was 67,678 people, which was a record for the Sky Dome at that time. The Sky Dome was like, I think, spanking new. Like, it was pretty it new. Was pretty and they were new, just like, yeah. we got to get up there and be in that big building. You yeah. Because it's, it's, man, bigger, better. Things that were happening around April Fool's Day of 1990. The same weekend, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie, was released. What a solid weekend for, you know, children everywhere. Right? Get to go watch some Turtles. Mm -hmm. Get to watch Hogan and Warrior. Yep. Sounds like, uh, you know... Get your little warriors, your little Hulkamaniacs, your little ninjas. Were you a warrior or a Hulkamaniac? I was... Probably a warrior. I think I was all in on warrior at that point. Yeah, I was pretty indifferent. I didn't really watch a lot as a child. I'd catch it like the Saturday mornings. But, but speaking of the turtles, who is your favorite turtle? Well, my name is Michael, so it kind of like lets you know that, of course, the one that had my name, Michelangelo. Cowbunga, dude. Yeah, he was the cool one. He liked pizza. Everybody likes pizza. They all liked pizza, but they he was, but yeah, he was the one that. Was yeah, like he was like the surf. He was the surfer dude, and he was like the funny one. And he had the same name as me. So like as a kid, you're an idiot, and you're like, oh, we have the same name, so you're my favorite. <laughs> I was the weird person and liked Leonardo. Is he the? Is he the? Is he the show canceled? No, no, it won't. Who's he? Is he the leader? I mean, to me, he, it was like he was the leader. Yeah, because he technically, I guess, was the oldest. Is like he Bostaff or like whatever those little? Like no, he the, was the, the little broadsword. Oh, the broadsword. See, that's cooler than a Bostaff or the like. I can't ever think of the, like the little. I mean, daggers. Donatello was cool because he used his brains and not always his brawn yeah. to solve the problems. But sometimes I just want to like cut stuff. Cut stuff. Yeah, I mean that's definitely the best weapon. The nunchucks are cool when you're a little kid, but you get older and you're like, yo, the samurai sword, the katana is about as cool as it's gonna be. Exactly, and. Something else that happened, uh, Sinead O'Connor's hit single, Nothing Compares to You, 
would hit number one just a few weeks later. Great song. Did you know that, that Prince wrote that song? I did know that. Yeah. It was like a, for a side project, I think called The Family or something. It was never like wide. It wasn't like a big hit for him. And was I don't even know Morris if it was Day really in the time. No, it was, I think, I'm not sure. I'm not super familiar with The Family. But uh, I mean, the the definitive version and the one everybody knows is... Is the Sinead Yeah, yeah. I mean, Prince wrote a lot of fucking songs, and not yes. all of them have seen the light of day. That's very so. true. And even after his death, a lot of them haven't seen <laughs> the light of day. Yeah. I mean, I just remember Sinead O'Connor doing, like, because she got nominated for Grammys. Yeah, and stuff that for her album great. and her song, and Video's she, cool. like, declined them all because of, you know... Some political things political she talked about. Yeah. And whatnot. And well, so. I remember the, her ripping the picture of the Pope. That's pretty... It's kind of cool. That was pretty cool on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, like, yeah. like watching that. I was like, "What is she doing?" I don't. Hey, mom, dad, what what does this mean? <laughs> yeah, I only I only knew about that in like hindsight. I'm pretty sure that they probably didn't play a lot of uh, reruns of that performance on on uh, Comedy Central back when I was that, watching lots of that you know, episode reruns. has been heavily edited. <laughs> yeah, I imagine so. Well, let's let's just get straight to the show this week because. We got a few matches to cover. Uh, like what, 18, 16, uh, 14? 14, 14 okay. matches. That's a lot. So the show starts Vince McMahon with narration over animals made from the stars. Constellations. And then Hogan and Warrior, they're made constellations. Yeah, we get, a, well. we get a, a Hogan constellation and a Warrior, and a, and a warrior constellation. Yeah. Uh, con- warrior constellation just makes so much sense. I mean, he is from parts unknown. Yeah. He's a goddamn alien. Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura Which, welcome us thank God. to the show. So glad they're back. So glad. Together. Together again. And then Howard Finkel announces Robert Goulet to sing O Canada. That happens. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a little bit different than the national anthem, I guess. I mean, it's the Canadian national yeah. anthem, so we're while in Canada, do as the Canadians do. So we're going to head off to our first match. We got Coco Beware with Frankie versus the model Rick Martel. Yep. I was like, why can't we just have more Tito Rick? But I guess I guess they just they they, they feel like they've been doing it for a while now, so they never have a blow off to that. Yeah, period. it's like if why not? I guess they did it for too long and realized people didn't care. I mean, I care now because but I'm sure that people probably just kind of forgot about it. Because everyone just kept calling him Chico and was like, Whatever. That's just Jesse. And you, you son of a bitch. So the ring cards are back for WrestleMania, bringing everyone to the ring. This is the first time since three that we've had our the ring cards? I believe so. Because every was... third Mania we get ring cards? Well, the last two have been at... And it's, I guess it has, if it's at a dome, you get Yeah, because the last two have been at Trump Plaza, so it was kind of a... They, it's a smaller venue. Smaller though, venue. Yeah. Three was at the Silver Dome... So it was quite a, quite a ways from the locker room to the to the ring. So match was about to get started. And the ref is checking Coco's boots when mm-hmm. Martell attacks him. Also, I liked Rick's um, spray of arrogance. <laughs> he's got like the pesticide looking thing of per- perfume, and he's like spraying it yes. on himself as he comes into the ring. It was it was a nice touch. A bit the big over the top cheesy like you know WWF. I think he like went into the WWF archives and was like. Oh, adorable Adrian's not here anymore. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. that. Yes. Also, can I get a blue sweater? 
So the model goes for an Irish whip that Coco looks to reverse, but Martell is too strong. But then Rick charges into a boot from where that doesn't phase him. Another Irish whip by the model, but Coco jumps on the second rope, coming off with a flying crossbody, multiple drop kicks, a back body drop, and a clothesline to send Martell to the floor. The Coco drop kick is underrated? Or just not talked about because Coco didn't do enough? But like everybody knows that I mean, Coco, Coco can drop kick. Coco was like always a, a, like a, basically a glorified a jobber. So his moveset was never glorified. Yeah, but those drop kicks are great. I but feel like if he was a good. little bit taller, it'd be a different story. But he's just kind of a short guy. And you know what they do with short guys in WWF. Give them names like Shorty G? <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, a bird. And put them on the beginning of shows. Exactly. Where then slingshots the model back into the ring from the apron. Starts to run the ropes where Martel just throws Coco over the floor. Rolling out to the floor, Rick continues the attack by ramming Ware against the apron's edge. Once back in the ring, Martel with a vertical suplex for a two count and just continues to work on Coco's back. The model attempts to turn Ware over into a Boston Crab, but Coco <laughs> is able to wiggle his way under the ropes. Rick then keeps up the attack by slamming Ware's head on the turnbuckle. Cue Jesse saying something about Coco having I mean, a hard head. Yeah, yes, yeah, what I call the hard head spot <laughs> when you no-sell the turnbuckle. Coco then fires up with right hands, gets tossed to the ropes, but Martel ducks his head, allowing Ware to kick him. We get multiple flying headbutts for a near fall by Coco, and the model reverses an Irish whip by Ware, but Coco goes for another flying crossbody off the second rope. But Rick ducks and locks on the Boston Crab for the submission. It's a crab match. I the mean, crab crossbody dropkick match. And I thought it was a good... A good opener. Oh, I agree completely. I mean, it I like good a, action. Yeah. It's the right length. I hate when you get like, a, when you get a tag match to start and it starts hot, but then goes on for too long. It's like, yo, this tag match is going on too long. We need to just like. We need high picks. Let's yes. Get yeah, exactly. Let's get so this was nice to see uh, it be a singles match that, you know, knew what he needed to do. We got like four drop kicks. We get some clotheslines over the top. We get multiple cross bodies and then it's. The finish is teased, and the crossbody is teased, and everything's set up. It's a tight little match. We then get Mean Gene in the back with the Colossal Connection and Bobby the Brain Heenan. And Mean Gene says, Colostomy Connection. Yes, he does. Which offends everyone. <laughs> but then Heenan turns it into an evacuation promo. <laughs> Got him. It's all pretty good. Mean Gene says the cl- uh, as they're leaving, the colossal connection. They're anything but regular guys. <laughs> it's so funny. Sean Mooney. Also, it's, yeah, the colossal connection is Haku and Andre. Yes. Yeah, just, uh, just in case. In case you didn't know. Sean Mooney's then with Demolition in the locker room, and Axe says he got his name from all the wood he chops. Cool. Sure. Yeah. Is that he's trying to uh, trying to get in good with the Canadians? I guess. <laughs> You're already demolition. They all everybody loves you. And then Smash starts telling us what he's gonna do to the Colossal Connection, and I was just like, does he have a kidnapping fantasy? Because he like I, says he's gonna lock them in their car trunk and then drive them over it. It gets a little dark for it's some like, it's just like, it's like what, come whoa, on, dude. Smash. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. It's like, are you you're gonna drive the car off the cliff? Well, what about you? <laughs> exactly. It was just like. 
I need to know no more just in case they do end up dying in a over a hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I don't. I'm not. Uh, I don't want to go to court for you. So we're headed off to our second match. We got the colossal connection of Haku and Andre the Giant with Bobby the Brain Heenan versus Demolition of Axe and Smash for the WWF Tag Team Championship. The champions come out first. Foreshadowing. Bum, bum, bum. The connection attacks from behind as the bell sounds. Demolition's working over Haku when Axe taunts Andre, so the giant gets into the ring to hit Axe with a forearm across the back. The weasel chants start up oh, from yes. the crowd. Haku then tosses Smash to the ropes and attempts a hip toss, but is blocked and reversed into a backslide pin attempt by Smash. But Andre's there to break the pin up with a very Orange Cassidy-esque kick. Aww. And Andre, this is, like, really fucking rough. I think this is one of his last matches on, like, a pay-per-view. Potentially yeah. the last one. And, Axe, and it feels like it's been a long time coming, and this one is kind of rough. It's very rough. Axe tosses Haku to the ropes, misses a clothesline. Haku turns, hitting a thrust to the throat, a backbreaker, a thrust kick, choking Axe with the ropes, and Heenan even walks by with a love tap. Axe gets up, but goes to the wrong corner, where the giant hits him with right hands and a headbutt for a near fall. Double-teaming by the connection for another two-count, but Smash makes the save. Haku with the chops to the neck of Axe, followed by the trap hold. I love that at least he sets up the trap hold by doing like a double chop with both of his arms to the traps. I hate a trap hold, but at least, you know, he kind of like set it up, made it like an ass hair better. Smash keeps coming into the ring, allowing the connection to continue more double-teaming of Axe. And then Haku hits a shoulder-breaker, but again, Smash makes the save on the pinfall. We get an Irish whip to the corner. Haku charges in, but Axe gets a boot up, hits a clothesline, and crawls to the corner for the hot tag. Smash in with right hands. More like a medium cool tag. Uh, it, was, it was pretty hot. You think so? Smash in with right hands, slams Haku's head on the turnbuckle, back elbow, back body drop, jumping double axe handle. Andre gets in the ring, but smashes right there with a right hand. Haku's toss the ropes, axe with the clothesline, a demolition double team clothesline on both members of the connection. The ref is forcing axe out of the ring, allowing Andre to grab smash from behind, and Haku goes for the savat kick, but smash moves, and the giant is knocked into the ropes with his arms tangled up. Smash hits a clothesline on Haku. Demolition double-team rubber band slam. Axe climbs to the second rope while Smash picks up Haku. And we get a demolition decapitation for the pin and the win. And new! Post-match, Heenan jumps in the ring. He's furious. Oh, yeah. He starts poking Andre, yelling at him. I know. Feel, it kind of hurts to watch. because I mean, I know Andre knows what's going on, but it's just because, you know, he's such a poor showing. His health is so bad. It's just like, it feels like he's scolding a puppy. The Giant's trying to explain that Haku kicked him mm-hmm. until the brain slaps him. So rough. Andre's attitude changes right away. Mm-hmm. Grabbing Bobby, yelling at him, slapping Heenan multiple times, and clubs him with a big right hand to knock him to the floor. Haku is behind the giant, goes for another Savat kick, 
But Andre catches his foot with multiple chops and a headbutt to send Haku to the floor. Haku and Heenan are starting to climb onto the ring cart to leave the ringside. But Andre throws them both out of the cart and takes it by himself back to the locker room to cheers oh yeah from the crowd that made me feel so good i was like and knowing this is kind of the end of andre it's like oh cool he gets to leave like as a face i was like warm my heart this was his last televised match in the wwf he i believe he does show up on tv but i think this might actually be his last match ever yeah like maybe a house show but probably not I think possibly a house yeah. show. Also, I thought it was really funny that I couldn't remember the name of the demolition decapitation or whatever, so I wrote the demo device <laughs> in my notes. I was like, I don't remember the name, but it's like kind of the same thing, so... It works. <laughs> yeah. We then go to the back, Mean Jeans there, with Earthquake and Jimmy Hart. And Jimmy Hart's say, telling us the seismologist. Yeah, that's know, a rough one to get out, seismologist. Should know the epicenter will be in Toronto. An earthquake, at the hands of an earthquake, even the strongest buildings can crumble into devastation. And, like, literally the entire time Earthquake's talking, he's, like, bouncing up and down. Yeah. And it kind of makes you feel like the tremors. Earthquake's pretty good here. I was like, not a bad, pretty well-delivered promo. Not, you know, it all makes sense. It's like, when he gets to the part that he wants to emphasize, he starts bouncing even harder. To like, it's, it was really good. And... Also, I because I have been putting the closed captioning on whenever people talk, just so I make sure that yeah, you because they can be rough sometimes. Like yeah. you, I, I I honestly didn't know exactly what Smash said in that promo. So thanks for the the closed caption, Matt. So, but I found something else that WWF does that is pretty petty. Mm-hmm. Even on closed captioning, when someone says World Wrestling Federation. Yeah. It says World Wrestling Entertainment on the closed <laughs> captioning. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe they just... But like we've said, some of that stuff's inconsistent. You can see the WWF logo and it's not always bored out. So it's exactly. like, eh, whatever. But they made sure the closed captioning says... <laughs> oh, entertainment? Entertainment. We don't, want th- we don't want people out here confused. So we get to our third match. We got Hercules versus Earthquake with Jimmy Hart. And Hercules is putting his chain in the corner when Earthquake comes from behind, but Herc moves in time, so Earthquake goes right into the turnbuckle. We get left-hand jabs, a roundhouse right, goes for an Irish whip, but Earthquake reverses, sending Herc into the corner. Again, Earthquake charges in, and again, Herc moves. More jabs, Jimmy hearts up on the apron, so Herc goes after him, allowing Earthquake to go to the floor to stall momentum. Back in the ring, Earthquake shoves Herc to the ropes and begins to send tremors throughout the ring. Oh, you like that spot, don't you? I think it's fun. Okay, well, there was oh, there's a diff- it's a different spot similar to that where they stomp somebody stomps all around somebody that I remember you didn't like. But that's Ronnie Garvin. Yes, but he stomps the Garvin stomp. Or the Garvin stomp. He stomps each body part. Which <laughs> yeah, is I know, stupid. and I know you hate it. But this is kind of like, but I mean, earthquake. It makes sense. In, it makes more sense. For and it's also earthquake like because he's creating tremors in the ring, and he's a, a very big boy. Earthquake calls for a test of strength, which, which gets Hercules down to one knee. The crowd's trying to fire Herc up, who gets back to his feet, only for Earthquake to hit a shoulder block and a forearm across the back. 
Hercules' head is slammed into the turnbuckle multiple times. More, more shoulder blocks. Earthquake tosses Herc to the ropes, but ducks his head, allowing Hercules to hit him across the back. Hercules with multiple shoulder tackles, clotheslines, but nothing is knocking Earthquake to the mat. Herc goes for a backbreaker, but Earthquake with a back elbow to knock him down. Multiple elbow drops and an Earthquake splash for the pin and, and no win. win. In the post-match, we get some more Earthquake aftershocks come in the form of another Earthquake splash. The uh, Yeah, the second splash was nice, and at this point, Earthquake's undefeated. He's definitely undefeated at this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, he's basically just he's, been a monster he's on He's doing TV. squash matches versus yeah. glorified jobbers like Hercules. Oh, Hercules, such a big guy. He had such a good push when we started this show, and we're now 44 episodes in, and he's yeah. not doing so well. No, yeah, there's some other things here we can be real real upset about later, <laughs> as far as, as, far as uh, pushes go. That's true. <laughs> so then we get Rona Barrett in the back with Miss Elizabeth. And Rona, Do you know who Rona Barrett is? Rona Barrett was kind of like a Sally Jesse Raphael type reporter. She was like more, the celebrity more goss. gossip. Yeah, it was kind of like gossip like a one person TMZ. Yeah, kind of right. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I had to look it up. I don't look her up. Yeah. yeah. And Rona Barrett asks Miss Elizabeth, "Hey, where have you been, Miss Elizabeth? I've been more of an advisory capacity away from the ring." And she was worried I was she was going to disappoint her fans because she wasn't getting physically involved in matches. Well, she's when not she a could have. But she teases a return to ringside. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that'll be anytime soon. Yeah, I wonder what match that could be on. Who knows? We then go to the locker room. Sean Mooney's there with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And Sean Mooney asks him, Hey, what are you doing, Brutus? And Beefcake says, I'm taking a look at Perfect's record, and it's pretty impressive, but I'm about to cut it Yeah, he says something about severing it. Yeah. With his, with his uh, shears. shears. Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's Brutus. Not as good. Not as best. No, not as best. But not as worst. So we head off to that fourth match. We got Mr. Perfect with the Genius versus Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And we well, actually Genius does announce Mr. Perfect. In, he in does. We have a little bit of a story behind this match, because at the Royal Rumble, Brutus and the Genius faced off when Perfect came to the ring, hitting the barber with a chair multiple times. Or something. They're feuding. Yeah. I like this uh, line from Jesse about Brutus, that he has a Paul Newman eyes, Kirk Douglas chin, and a Robert Duvall haircut. It's like, all right. Robert Duvall had that much hair. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, ah, not the Robert Duvall I know. Robert Duvall's always been an older gentleman. To me, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So everyone's in the ring. Beefcake's taking his coat off when Perfect attacks from behind, but quickly is able to get him into the corner. The two men trading blows until a roundhouse right by Brutus to send Perfect to the outside. An Irish whip that is reversed by Perfect, who ducks his head, allowing the barber to kick him on his way back. Atomic drop by Beefcake sends Perfect over the ropes to the floor, and the barber does some strutting. Back in the ring, Perfect slams Brutai's head into the turnbuckle, goes for an Irish whip that is reversed, sending Perfect back first into the turnbuckle. Beefcake starts working on the lower back, hits a body slam, slams Perfect's head on the turnbuckle again, another Irish whip into the corner, and a clothesline. Hey, in the crowd. 
It's Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore's here. I know. I was like, oh, okay. Cool. Where did you ever watch Mary Tyler Moore? I loved Mary Tyler Moore. I, I remember when I was a kid. I was a big Dick Van Dyke show fan, and then Mary Tyler Moore show would come on as well. Yeah. Like, like pretty sh- shortly after it. I watched a lot of, like, older TV as a kid, because, you know, after 8 o'clock, there was a lot of that on cable. Uh, TV land, man. Yeah, and, like, Nick at Night. But uh, I never watched much Mary Tyler Moore. It was more of a, like... All in the family. I did do uh, Partridge Family. I never got into the. I was more of the older shows. The, yeah. The, the like I said, Dick Van Dyke, F True, Dobie Gillis show, uh, Get Smart. Get Smart was uh, probably yeah. my favorite one. Uh, yeah, those were not the ones that I that I frequented. But my Nick at Night was probably a little bit before you. Just a little bit, and, and that's probably the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I just knew that whenever Mash came on, I was going to bed because as a kid, I hated it. And I was like, it's like this does not work for me at the age of like six or seven or whatever. Mash probably wouldn't know. No. Barbara calls for the sleeper when the genius jumps up on the apron and the ref get, finally gets him down, but the genius has dropped his scroll into the ring. Perfect crawls over, grabs the scroll while everyone is still paying attention to the genius on the outside. Brutus walks over and gets nailed with it right in the kisser. <sighs> but he Perf- needs that to kiss with. Perfect in complete control after a neck snap, working over beefcake. The barber with a double leg takedown catapults Perfect into the ring post and makes the cover for the pin and the win. Shaking my head. Mr. Perfect just lost to Brutus the Barber Beefcake? Yeah, from a slingshot that like kind of posted his shoulder, kind of. Post-match, Beefcake starts motioning to Perfect's hair if he's going to cut it, but the genius grabs the shears and starts making his way back to the locker room. Brutus catches up with him down the entryway, bringing the genius back to the ring. But by that time, Perfect has just left in his cart. Beefcake locks the barber's chair on the genius, grabs his scissors, and begins to cut a bit off the top. And as I was saying... I'm disgusted. I'm so, I'm like, I don't have any... I'm, I'm almost speechless. This was Perfect's first televised loss yeah. in the WWF. It's garbage. What did he, what did what did he do to, to deserve this? Did he like fuck up backstage or something? Are they gonna push? If you Brutus? listen to certain people, uh huh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake was the second biggest baby face in the company. Who said that? Bruce Pritchard. Yep. Okay. Fucking Jesus. I was like, when you said that, I was like, it's like certain people. I was like, is that like a, a Melter thing you're getting at? It's like, oh no. As you kept talking, I figured out that it was a corporate shill. Yeah. <laughs> we then go to a video package. We see from the Royal Rumble, Roddy Piper eliminating Bad News Brown with a back body drop, followed by Brown pulling Piper out of the ring by the arm. They would then brawl down the entryway. Uh, and then we see footage from the Wrestling Challenge where Brown is making fun of Piper and the two begin to brawl on stage. We then go to the back and Roddy Piper is there with Mean Gene. And Piper has half of his body painted black. Yep, <laughs> he, he sure does. Starts talking about Brown's big nostrils and big mouth. Mm-hmm. That's true. And um, I literally went... You're like... <gasps> um, nope. He has a, yeah, he says that half of him is... Roddy Piper and the other half's like like Hot Scott is what he's called himself. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, he's gonna get the hot rod or the hot Scott. He's this gonna deal with like dealing be... with split personalities, and I'm like, 
well, I don't know what to, what to, what to take from this. this and it's may really be the pointless worst thing <laughs> that Roddy Piper has ever done. Yeah, we haven't watched uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown yet, but <laughs> this is probably worse than that. It's, it's, this it's is... <laughs> up, at, up at the top of the list so far. I know. At least, I supposedly, he had a hard time getting the uh, pain off and had to deal with it for a couple days. That's a that's a, some, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a, a, a wrestling t- tale. So yeah, the rumor in Indiana. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Andre the Giant did a rib on Roddy and changed the paint out to. Yeah. So that he, I don't know if I believe that. It's like I'm sure if you put that much paint on your body for a wrestling match, it's going to be hard for it to come off. Because obviously they weren't using like the stuff that like Warrior uses, where it comes off 30 seconds into the match. Yeah. Like, but you know, it would have been nice if he just didn't do it at all. But uh, here we are. <laughs> that is the truth. So we got that fifth match. Bad News Brown versus Roddy Roddy Piper. Uh, Piper for Prime Minister. We get a, a nice sign in the crowd. That I, I thought was pretty good. And we, the, get a, we get Roddy chants. The two men just are brawling away to mm-hmm. start the match. Piper finally hits a crossbody. And the referee tries to keep separating them. Oh, we do get... Roddy does rip his shirt off to start and does like a disco... Uh, Disco, like, you know, the point to your, your yeah. hip and then point to the sky and does uh, some dancing, you know, to fit half of his bit. <laughs> exactly. Or at least, you know, <laughs> to keep half of it. To, yeah, to, to stay, uh, keep with the, I don't know. I, I would say it's going to say his, the, the racist kind of, half. But, the, uh, the, like way, the, the is, way that they were brawling at the very beginning and the referee had to keep separating, I was kind of like, <laughs> I, don't know if shoot Brown, I don't know if Brown <laughs> knew that this is what he was going to come out as, and there were shoot vibes. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the thing about Bad News Brown is it always feels like shoot vibes, which is kind, <laughs> kind of, of yeah. just kind of the plus for him. It's like that's kind of why he's cool. Match finally gets going. We get multiple right hands, a headbutt by Brown, slams Piper face first into multiple turnbuckle, and locks on the trap hold. <sighs> the two men are trading blows again. Brown with a headbutt, Snapmare starts choking Piper. A body slam and a running elbow drop. But Piper retaliates with an eye poke and begins unloading with lefts and rights. But Brown stops him with an eye rake of his own. Bad News unties one of the pads, goes for an Irish whip. But Piper reverses, sending Brown into the exposed turnbuckle. Hot Rod then pulls a fingerless glove out of his tights. Very Michael Jackson-esque. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's totally the vibes. And starts firing away with right hands, a second rope sledgehammer with the glove on to send Brown to the outside. Bad News drags Piper to the outside, goes to punch him, but Roddy moves for Brown to punch the steel post. Piper grabs a chair, swinging away, but Bad News moves so Roddy hits the ring post. The bell rings and the ref tries to get in between the two men. More refs come down to to help and the two men continue to brawl down the entryway. And the official announcement is a double countout. And like I was saying, I, bad news actually did feel the body paint was offensive and neither man was willing to lose. Oh, yeah. So that's why they did, did the double the, Yeah, well, he was like, yo, if you're going to wear this body paint, I am not taking a pin from you. Exactly. Like, which is totally understandable. I have no problem with this DQ. Because, <laughs> like, whatever, I didn't need this match anyway. I needed this match to end as quickly <laughs> yeah. as possible. I like Piper. I like Brown. Yeah. The angle here was just, like, blatantly racist. Exactly. Which, I mean, there's a lot of that in this. But this one's, like, a little touch too, like, in wrestling. Like, the, you know, the hard head stuff and 
you know, the Chico stuff and Jesse talking shit on like Mexican some of it, food just, or whatever. I can kind of just laugh at, but yeah. this I was just like, like yeah. no. Pulls collar. <laughs> we then get Steve Allen in a bathroom playing the piano. And I guess Steve Allen was a, he was a late night guy, right? Yeah, he was kind of uh, the Jimmy, Car- uh, the Johnny Carson before Johnny Carson. Oh, okay. I didn't realize. So, but Johnny Carson's on the air at this yeah, time, right? Yeah, okay. I was going to say um, he says he's practicing the Russian national anthem, and the Bolsheviks come in, and they're like, "Okay, we're gonna play the Russian national anthem." Mm-hmm. And then Alan would start playing the wrong song, yeah. And the Bolsheviks would get mad, and they're like, "Okay, just kidding, just kidding," and then play the wrong song, yeah. And just kind of went on for a couple minutes until someone flushes the toilet. Well, Steve Allen does uh, finish with a joke by saying like something about stop Stalin, which I thought was. Kind of funny. It's pretty good joke. Yeah, like, I don't know much about Steve Allen, but he's uh, moderately quick and dry. I was fine with him hanging out on this show. I mean, this, is one, of the, this is one of the better back, backstage bits in the show. Yeah. <laughs> Which leads us right into our sixth match, the Hart Foundation of Brett Hitman Hart and Jim Anvil Neidhart versus the Bolsheviks of Nikolai Volkov and Boris Zukov. And this is the first time we've actually seen the Bolsheviks since Survivor Series 1988. Damn. Which was episode 22. Damn. Which one is this? Like 44. Oh, okay. Wow. 22 episodes. (laughs) How convenient. We see Hitman give his shades to a youngster at ringside. Mm Mm-hmm. Getting that face pop right there. And Volkov starts, does his usual gimmick of singing the national, the Russian national anthem. Yeah. Some, yeah, very, probably very incorrectly. But Neidhart is not having it, so he doesn't wait, and he attacks him from behind. Anvil with the clothesline to the back of Volkov descending to the floor, and then the Hart Foundation hits the heart attack on Zukov for the pin and the win in 18 seconds. Yep, uh, let's get everybody on the show. I mean, the I mean, Hart Foundation is now the, is the number one contenders for the tag belts, yeah. so we got to have them on the show. Yeah, I mean, it does, uh, you know... It does set that up, but it would have been nice to see a little more Heart Foundation, uh, more than, you know, two moves in 18 seconds. But at least we only got 18 seconds of the Bolsheviks. Yeah, but I'll take, I'll take, I'll take fucking 10 minutes of the Bolsheviks over, uh, the Bushwhackers. Have we seen the Bushwhackers in the show? No. Exactly. But I'm just saying, if I'm gonna, like, there's other tag teams I'd rather see less. We get an oh. ad for WrestleMania 7. Mm-hmm. guess it's Grill and Jesse talk about WrestleMania going to L.A. for a few minutes. And then Mean Gene's in the back with Tito Santana. Have you realized that Tito Santana's been at every WrestleMania? Yeah, I guess so. Hillman Hogan, man. Uh, they're, they're the stalwarts. Yeah, Tito definitely doesn't get... Uh... A quarter of the amount of love. One of them was at the top of their game. The other one, not Mm, so much. Yeah. He's uh, a solid (laughs) mid-card? Lower mid-card? He's a lower (laughs) mid-card by this point. We then get our seventh match of the evening. The Barbarian with Bobby the Brain Heenan versus Tito Santana. And for any of you who are paying attention, you're like, Hey, wait. The Barbarian's with Bobby the Brain Heenan? Yeah. Mr. Fuji, who was his old manager, had sold the Powers of Pain contracts to different managers. So the Barbarian was now with Heenan, and the Warlord was with Slick. 
is Mr. Fuji had a new tag team to manage, um, which yeah. we'll talk about later. So the match gets started. We got lots of lockups. No one's really getting the upper hand. Santana tries a shoulder tackle with Barbarian no-sells. Tito's running the ropes, and Barbarian ducks his head, allowing Chico to kick his head. More running of the ropes. Tito ducks a clothesline and comes back with a crossbody for a near fall. Santana working a side headlock, but Barbarian tosses him to the ropes, hitting a hip toss. Goes for a falling headbutt, but Tito moves and tries for a Thez press. But Barbarian catches him, trying for a power bomb. when Santana starts punching down to take Barbarian to the mat for a two count. Barbarian hits a big boot to Chico, who's running the ropes. Follows with a shoulder breaker, a second rope elbow drop, but Tito moves. Like Jesse's basically using this match to just, you know, do his whole Chico routine. But I thought it was pretty funny about, uh, he says that Tito should have fed Barbarian some of uh, his food. So he'd probably have to just, you know, head out head out of the match uh, and calls it Chico's Revenge. <laughs> so, and, the, you know, this is... The, gotta give him those tacos. Yeah, yeah. Actually funny. Silly. Not blackface. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's not that. Barbarian charges into the corner. Again, Santana moves, and Barbarian tries another big boot. But Tito blocks, hitting multiple drop kicks to finally take Barbarian down. Santana comes off the second rope with a double axe handle, then flies off the ropes with a forearm for the pin, and Heenan puts the foot on the rope! Oh, yeah, thanks Heenan. Tito starts stalking the brain, but Barbarian comes from behind, tries a body slam, but Santana floats over and goes for an Okada roll, but Barbarian ducks the ropes for them to clothesline Tito. Barbarian then climbs to the top rope and hits a flying clothesline for the pin and the win. We then go to a new video package. We see footage from the Brother Love segment at Royal Rumble 90 where Sapphire is being harassed by Love and Sherry, when Macho King comes running to the ring, which brings out Dusty Rhodes. We see footage from the Ultimate Challenge special, where Sherry jumps on the back of Dusty during a match between Rhodes and Savage. And then Sapphire jumps in the ring and grabs Scary Sherry off the back. Sherry tries to escape, but Dusty throws her back into the ring, where Sapphire hip-tosses her. Yeah, you could call it that. I mean, she must have learned her hip tosses from Dusty. Oh, rough. Yeah. <laughs> we then head to the locker room. Sean Mooney's there with Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire. And Sapphire lets us know that there's no king or queen anymore. And Dusty says, what you're missing is what we got. The crown jewel, baby. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, I was like, is that why they call the... <laughs> is that why they called the... Pay-per-view, Crown Jewel later on. I mean... I wrote the same joke. Did you? Yeah, I, wrote, I was like, I wrote Saudi rib in parentheses. I, wrote, I was like, does Dusty get credit for the Saudi Arabia pay-per-view names too? <laughs> so that leads us to our eighth match. We got Macho King Randy Savage and Sensational Queen Sherry versus Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire in a mixed tag match. Which, I don't, we've have we seen any in the WWF? This is the first mixed tag match in WWF history. Oh, really? Even like, what? Are, they probably did some on house shows. That's what Finkel said. Okay. That's Trust Fink, the Fink. Fink. Fink could lie to us. Yeah. Is this the first show where they actually, like, you know, 
how they put somebody's name. It just says, I think on this show at the beginning, it just says the Fink instead of Howard Fink. Yeah, it's bottom. A, yeah it's a <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, that's awesome. So Dusty takes the mic and repeats his basically his entire promo from the back. It's okay, Dusty promo, same one twice, fine with me. And then introduces the crown jewel. Who could it be? Miss Elizabeth. And a jewel she is. And we haven't seen her since WrestleMania 5, so an entire year previous, Mm -hmm. which was episode 28. She does come out to... Pomp and circumstance. Which only makes sense that everybody knows her for. But she does get a nice pop, and it makes me feel good. It does. Jesse lets us know that it can only be men versus men Mm -hmm. and women versus women in this match. Which, who cares, right? Yeah, I, there's also like a We Love Liz sign in the crowd. So I imagine like the card was, like she was probably teased locally maybe? Or... She was probably, I mean, probably the promos leading up to <laughs> WrestleMania made it seem that yeah. everyone should know. Kind of have the idea that she, yeah. Miss Elizabeth was going to be there, but. Rhodes ends up taking Macho down to start the match. Starts doing some strutting when Sherry jumps in the ring to hit Dusty. From behind. Rhodes backs her into the corner where Sapphire grabs her, but Savage hits Dusty from behind. Macho then goes to the top rope for a double axe handle, but is caught and thrown into Sherry, who had come into the ring to knock her to the floor. Dusty tags in Sapphire, throws Sherry back in the ring, where Sapphire shoves Sherry to the corner, where she clotheslines Savage to the floor. Sapphire has the hip attack down, lifts Sherry up for an airplane spin, for a near fall. Like by the, the hair? like Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely, this is basically uh, the true definition of a hair match between these two women. Sherry goes for a body slam. Sapphire's too heavy and falls on top of Sherry for a two count. Dusty tags in, stalking Sherry until Macho comes in, where Rhodes hits a clothesline, holds Savage so that Sapphire can slap him. Woo! Feels good. Sherry comes running in again, but Dusty shoves Macho right into her to knock them both down. Rhodes picks Sherry up, shoves her into a corner, but Savage hits a high knee to the back of Dusty to send him to the floor. I love how hot the crowd is for all of this. It's awesome. Yeah, it's like, like yeah, all the, they're booing all the heel shit and cheering all the face stuff and even though you know even though, even though there's lots knows, of fun, sapphire's not good yeah they are cheering their well, i mean they, the thing is they've been so mean to her for like a long time that the build for this is just like yeah and we're, we're actually getting a payoff and it and it's nice and it's also you know in front of uh 67,000 people 678 macho follows out to continue the attack sherry joins in with a shot across the jaw Savage with multiple top rope double axe handles to the floor. Macho wants to go for a third one, but Sapphire steps in between them. So Savage jumps to the apron and throws Sapphire out of the way. So good. Miss Elizabeth begins to check on Sapphire while Macho hits another top rope double axe handle inside the ring. Savage goes to the outside, grabs a scepter, while Sherry is distracting the ref by yelling at Sapphire and Miss Elizabeth. Macho goes to the top rope again, this time hitting the scepter on top of Rhodes' head. Man. Sherry wants to make the pin, so Savage tags her in, and the queen climbs to the top rope to hit a splash onto Dusty, but only a two count. But it's only, guys, it's 
It's a free-for-all. They all hate each other. (laughs) Sherry makes the tag, so Macho goes for another top rope double axe handle, but ropes. How many times has Savage gone to the top in this match? Sixth time he's gone, fifth time he's hit one. (laughs) But Rhodes catches him in the gut. Dusty then grabs the king and queen, gives them a double noggin knocker, multiple elbows to the Savage's head. Sherry comes from behind, jumps on Rhodes' back. Dusty backs up into the corner to make the tag to Sapphire, who grabs Sherry by the head, yanking her off of Rhodes. Hell yeah. Sapphire then tosses Sherry out to the floor, but Miss Elizabeth is right there and throws her back into the ring. Sapphire hits a bad-looking DDT. Mm, Yeah. Goes for the pin, but Savage makes the save. Dusty and Macho brawling in the corner while Sherry goes after Elizabeth. Miss Elizabeth grabs her hair and shoves her back into the ring while Sapphire is on all fours behind her for a schoolgirl trip, <laughs> makes the cover for the pin and the win. It's, I love the finish. It's so, it's so stupid and great. Like, usually having someone in, in a match that, like, is completely out of their element like Sapphire was yeah. would take me out of a match had so much fun with this match yeah it's great uh well i mean it's also probably like set up set up by dusty and brandy it's like oh like, oh, totally. like i'm sure that uh yeah like those are two guys that if they're if anybody can put on like an entertaining like schmoz match like those two guys can make find a way I to mean, make it work sherry was pretty good in her day too so, oh yeah no sherry's because she's sherry's, a former champion yeah sherry's always great like but you know dusty and sapphire are not Dusty's never been particularly great in the ring. He's just a huge personality. But he does have a mind for the business, whereas Sherry uh, Sapphire, I don't know if she worked before this or not. But I really she couldn't obviously, find anything she, about her other yeah, than her If she WWF, did work before this, so. uh, it, yeah, it, was, it wasn't well. No. So post-match, Savage comes charging in with his scepter, but is hit in the gut, causing him to drop it, which Dusty picks up and clears the ring. Yes. And then Sapphire grabs Miss Elizabeth and gets her into the ring to help boogie down with them. Yes, it's so cool. Dance party, man. We get another WrestleMania 7 ad. And then we go to the back. Bobby Heenan's there with Mean Gene. Mean Gene asks Bobby, "Uh, you have family members falling like the Berlin Wall. And what gives you the nerve to slap Andre in the face? Get him, Mean. Heenan tells him, I'm the head of the family. You take orders from me. If you don't listen, you're never heard from again. Dang. That's, a... that's pretty hardcore <laughs> considering that we don't really ever see, we don't see Andre ever again. Yeah, that's a, it's rough. Gorilla and Jesse then interview Ronna Barrett. And Gorilla, Gorilla's like, hearing you have some info about some of our own. And Ronna's, I've come up with a little bit of a film about some, someone right here. And Jesse asks, what did you see? Predator? Running, Running Man? Man? And was like, eh, it's more of the adult library variety. Let's roll that film. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, like, all right. Like, what? And Jesse, like, all of a sudden. see a little, he, little Ventura? Jesse interrupts. Oh, we have Sean Mooney standing in the back with Macho <laughs> and Sherry. Which we do. And Savage basically says, you better call somebody because suffering builds character. And you're going to do a lot up, of suffering, like, right? Picks up the phone in the back. Yeah. Then uh, Demolition's in the back of Mean Gene. Just says a whole bunch of Demolition stuff. Nothing inspiring of any kind. Not, not particularly. And we go to 
intermission when we come back. Jesse and Gorilla are reviewing what has transpired so far. Uh, but Gorilla did watch the video of Rona's during the intermission. Oh, yeah? That we thankfully didn't have to sit through. And there wasn't anything on it. I do know they make a, a joke about um, Sylvester Stallone's old stag film. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the joke that they're going Yeah, on. yeah. But I guess that was earlier, like way earlier than this. Like yeah. pre-Rocky. Hulk Hogan's in the back with Mean Gene. And Hulk says, when you feel that energy in the arena... Those are my people. Once I get you on your knees, I'm going to ask one question. Do you want to live forever? <laughs> it gets weird and heavy. <laughs> we can save all your little warriors with the training, the prayers, and the vitamins. And the only thing that matters is what kind of winner you are or what kind of loser you are. And I sure hope you are a good loser. Do you want to live forever? That's like a heavy question. That, that is a heavy question. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. But speaking of heavy questions, it's time. <laughs> Do we get any heavy answers? Ultimate Warrior oh my promo god. time. Oh my god. Who's in the locker room with Sean Mooney, but then just calls Sean Mooney a normal and kicks him out. Yes. I love that he calls him a normal. It's like this is our this is like two babies, two baby faces. And here we go. Alright. You're nothing but a normal. You don't deserve to breathe the same air that I and Hulk Hogan do. Putting Hulk over Hogan. Hogan, I must ask Hold you on. now. Hulk Hogan. He never he never gets a oh. no, uh, Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Hulk Hogan, I must ask you now as you asked me. Do you, Hulk Hogan, want your ideas, your beliefs to live forever? For Hulk Hogan in this <laughs> normal world, physically none of us can live forever. But the place you have the Hulkamaniacs, the ideas and the beliefs you have given them, can live through me, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> that is why I breathe. That is why the warriors have come. Hulk Hogan, there are ones that are questioned. Where are you taking them? Do you no longer want to walk or step into darkness? Hulk Hogan, the darkness I speak of is nothing to fear. It is about the beliefs of accepting any and all challenges at the cost of losing everything. <laughs> Has Hulk he said Hogan. anything yet? <laughs> you have lived, Hulk Hogan, for the last five WrestleManias. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> for this one last belief. Now, Hulk Hogan, I come to take what you believe in further than you ever could. I come, Hulk Hogan, not to destroy the Hulkamaniacs and Hulkamania. I come, Hulk, <laughs> Hulk Hogan, Hogan, to bring the warriors and Hulkamaniacs together as one, as we, Hulk Hogan, accept all the challenges with all the strengths of the warriors and Hulkamaniacs together. Hulk Hogan, the colors of the Hulkamaniacs are coming to the pores of my skin. <laughs> it's kind of gross and weird. And Hulk Hogan, when we meet Hulk Hogan... I will look at you, and you will realize that I have come to do no one no harm, but only Hulk Hogan to take what we both believe in to places it shall never have been. And then snarl. The uh, that promo is longer than like half of these matches that we watched. <laughs> oh, right. It's incredible. So we head out to the ring for our ninth match. What did you take from that? So basically, he said that... Hogan's 
technically Hogan has the heel promo here. He's like, <laughs> yeah, Warrior's like, I'm willing to, I'm willing to take both of them and meld them together. But I guess doing that, he needs to take the belt, right? Is that what he's saying? That's what, what he's he saying. In fury, in in fury, he's going to try and meet meet no. everyone in the middle. Yeah. While Hulk is just like. I hope you're a good loser. Yeah, no warriors. No, all these little warriors. I hope they're good be, losers. I hope they're they hope they don't want you oh. to win because they're <laughs> you're not going to. So our ninth match, we got the Orient Express of Sato and Pat Tanaka with Mister Fuji versus the Rockers of Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels. And the Orient Express is a new tag team for us, but we yep. have seen Pat Tanaka before. At AWA Super Clash 3, back in episode 23. Was he part of a tag there? He was part of a tag. Bag Company, he had uh, Diamond Dallas Page as his manager. Oh, uh, okay. That was our, like, one of, our one Our page. one AWA Was that the only time uh, we saw show, Page outside the of only... driving the, well, oh, we haven't even got there yet. Got there. Sorry. Spoilers. <laughs> so the match starts, we get a reverse thrust kick from Tanaka to send Janetti to the corner. Then Sato whips Pat into the corner with an elbow. Tanaka's running the ropes. Marty with a power slam. Rocker double hip toss. Doubled elbow drop to Sato. Double kip up into a double press slam to throw Tanaka into Sato. Stereo Pescados by the Rockers onto the express on the floor. It's a friggin' spot fest and it's great. (laughs) Janetti's running the ropes when Fuji hooks the top rope with his cane, causing Marty to fall over to the floor. Sato picks Janetti up. Fuji rakes him over the back with his cane and then just ran into the steel pillar face first. Posted. The Express working over Marty until he is tossed to the ropes. Tanaka goes for a back body drop, but Janetti flips over, makes the tag, and we get double super kicks. Hell yeah. Body slam, back body drop by Sean on Tanaka, hits a swinging neck breaker on Sato and goes for an Irish whip. That is reversed, and Tanaka gets a boot up into the back of Michaels. Sato looks to hit a gut-wrench suplex, but turns it into a gut-buster. Tanaka tosses Sean to the ropes, hits a crossbody, before slamming Michaels' head into the turnbuckle, followed by a body slam. Sato then comes off the top rope with a knee drop and locks on a trap hold. Because, you know, Sean Michaels has those huge traps. Oh, yeah. You gotta grab onto them. Sean reverses an Irish whip, ducks his head, so Tanaka flips over, but Michael turns and hits a clothesline, and then makes his way to the corner for the hot tag. Marty with big right hands to both expressmen, flying back elbow on Tanaka, double noggin knocker. Janetti goes for the cover, but moves when Sato tries for an elbow drop, which hits Tanaka in the process. We get a rocker double drop kick to send Sato to the floor, a double back body drop to Tanaka, they both climb to top ropes, but Fuji begins to cane Marty's leg. No. Janetti jumps down, begins to stalk Fuji around the ring, and picks up the cane. Sean and Tanaka are brawling in the ring, and Sato comes from behind and throws salt into Marty's eyes. It looks like Marty's... I don't know if he's selling it really well or not, but he like stumbles into the, uh, into the steel and... like. Go, rolls over it into the crowd and they like you get a shot of him at some point and it looks like he's got salt in his eyes he's all like watery and puffy and the bell rings mm-hmm. and the official announcement is the orient express by count out were the rockers in trouble <laughs> like it's kind of weird 
It's not. It's it's a very. Uh, I like, just don't think it's they, like obviously they didn't weren't going to pin the Orient Express. I didn't think that the I figured the Orient Express would lose, but I did too. And like you know, a countout is kind of like a loss. I'm kind of like whenever it's when's like that, the push for the Rockers going to start? Yeah, because I don't didn't start here. They they haven't got that winning streak going yet. No, this was good. I, I like the match. Yeah, yeah it was short. It, it was like it started hot. It like slowed down a little bit, and then it kind of schmozzed out, but. It was really fun, and it starts starts uh, with a nice series of cool shit. Steve Allen's in outside the locker room of Rhythm and Blues, oh, which is Honky Tonk Man and Greg the Hammer Valentine. Oh my god! And we see Valentine's dressed up as an Elvis impersonator I can as well. Now I can I can just like see and hear all of the curse words inside of Greg Valentine's brain. There's no way he's enjoying any of this. There's, he's like he looks like a no bullshit guy, and you know he's got to be a no bullshit guy. And now he's got to do some bullshit, and like it's really funny. They've even uh, colored his hair black. So yeah. And Alan says that he hasn't been this excited since he found out that Pee Wee Herman was straight. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. What a what a what a weird joke for uh, WrestleMania. Honky Tonk Man says, when we go out there, it's going to be bigger than Michael Jackson, the Rolling Stones, even bigger than a Beatles reunion. Had John Lennon, when did John Lennon get uh, murdered? Uh, before this show. Okay, I was going was, to, I was what I was thinking, I was like, I don't know what year that happened. And Valentine says, we're on our way to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And Alan says, I'll warn you that you're coming. <laughs> Alan's kind of, he's, he's like... We don't have the uke here, but he's a like a nice change of pace. But he's still he's kind of holding that that position on a WrestleMania show. I don't know if I like him as much as as the uke, but I am enjoying him. I, I found both of the segments pretty entertaining. Yeah, they're like I said, like the better better segments. Yes. We then get our tenth match of the night: Dino Bravo with Jimmy Hart and Earthquake, the strongest man in the world. Dino Bravo, world's strongest, world's strongest man. That's close. Versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And when did that start? What? When did the thing start? I feel like it's just been going on. Royal Rumble eighty-eight. Eighty-eight. Royal Rumble eighty-eight. Because that was the it was the first one. I know I bring it up every time, but I'm just like, get Dino out of my life. Well. We get to see your other favorite wrestler. Oh! Yeah, I know. Hit me with a two-by-four and wake me up when this match is over. Bravo goes for a shoulder block, but Duggan stands his ground, so Dino's running the ropes, misses a clothesline, and Hacksaw follows with a clothesline Hacksaw of his own. does get some booze, though, and I kind of love it because, you know, he's like the big America guy, so we do get some Canada booze, and I enjoyed that. Duggan's unloading with lefts and rights, hits a back body drop and a clothesline to send Bravo to the floor. Back in the ring, Dino goes right after Hacksaw, who blocks the wild punches, and turns Bravo around to give him an atomic drop. Mounted punches in the corner, Duggan Irish whips Dino, charges in after, but Bravo moves, and then clotheslines Hacksaw. We get big right hands, chops, kicks, inverted atomic drop all by Dino to, to gain control. A jumping elbow drop slams Duggan's head into multiple turnbuckles, but the adrenaline starts flowing, and Hacksaw starts firing back with lefts and rights, tossing Dino to the ropes, but ducks his head, allowing himself to be kicked. Bravo Irish whips Duggan to the corner, charges in, but Hacksaw gets a knee up, followed by multiple clotheslines. 
Jimmy Hart jumps up on the apron as Duggan sets up for the three-point stance, where Earthquake grabs his foot. Earthquake's trying to pull Hacksaw out of the ring when Hart throws the 2x4 into Dino, but Duggan escapes Earthquake in time, grabs the 2x4, and cracks it over the back of Bravo for the pin and the win. Well, at least it was quick. I do like, uh, uh, Jesse says, I plain, I just plain don't like Hacksaw, and uh, Gorilla asks him why, and Jesse says, because he's ugly. <laughs> and that was just it. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, it's fun and stupid and part of why I love these guys together. Post-match, Earthquake attacks Duggan from behind with clubbing forearms, multiple elbow drops, and multiple Earthquake splashes. How many Earthquake splashes do we get in this show? Like five, I think, total? Uh, four or five, yeah. yeah. It's quite a few. I, mean, I do like that Earthquake comes out already sweaty. They're getting Earthquake over here. Yeah. We then go to a video package about Ted DiBiase and Jake Roberts. We see an episode of Superstars from last year where Million Dollar Man attacked the snake and locks on the Million Dollar Dream. And that is what put Jake out for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. Those are heavy air. Those are, that's the sound of heavy air quotes. Another episode of Superstars from this past November and DiBiase's taunting everybody about his Million Dollar Belt. Mm-hmm. And Jake makes his return, showing up, and attacks Million Dollar Man. We then, Jake Roberts is in the back with Mean Gene. Snake's one of the better Jake, Jake Robert promos that we've had. I would, yeah, I would highly suggest watching this promo. It's great. Snake says it's the biggest match of his career. And talking to Million Dollar Man, you made fun of people who could use your money. Now it's my turn. I'm going to make you beg. You'll be humbled. And you'll be humiliated. Those Jake promos. They're just, they're so good. They're, they're like, you know, in a like promotion where everybody's more than human. Like he is extremely, yeah, he's like extremely human. Like he's just like, he's just, yeah, he's a dude and he's believable every time. So we head to the ring for our 11th match. We got the million dollar man of Ted DiBiase with Virgil versus Jake the Snake Roberts. With, with Damien. Yeah. For the million dollar the man- championship. I was going to say the manager without a mouth, but he does have a mouth. He just can't talk. <laughs> so the story behind the match was that Roberts had been injured by DiBiase, putting him on the shelf for several months. When Jake returned, he would steal the belt, placing it in Damien's bag, daring Million Dollar Man or Virgil to retrieve it. Such a good fucking, such a good, like, a good little, little rib. Agreed. So the two men start shoving each other right as they get in the ring, and Roberts is running the ropes. DiBiase ducks his head, and Snake hits a high knee, goes for the DDT, but Million Dollar Man drops down and rolls out of the ring. DiBiase's running the ropes again. Jake with a hip toss, misses an elbow drop as Million Dollar Man moves, and Ted goes for an elbow drop, but Robert moves and goes for the DDT again. Mm. And again, Million Dollar Man drops down to escape. Though that, like, he, like just kind of like rolls away and uh it's fucking great gotta build the tension oh yeah he'll heat mm-hmm. snake drags dibiase back into the ring begins to work on the arm dibiase goes for an okada pin but robert ducks, and the momentum sends million dollar man to the floor where jake follows out to toss him back into the ring million dollar man's running the ropes snake ducks his head and ted catches him with an elbow to the back of the neck an irish whip to the corner and charges in but Jake gets his knee up, followed by the high knee, 
but DiBiase steps out of the way for Roberts to go crashing to the mat. Million Dollar Man goes for the methodical attack, so methodical that the crowd has started the wave. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of bummed about the wave because this match is fucking good. It's good. Even the director finds it more interesting than the match as he goes to a camera shot of it. <sighs> Come on. DiBiase then kicks the snake out of the ring and rams his shoulder on the post. Back in the ring, Million Dollar Man hits the pile driver, starts taunting the Ooh. crowd, goes for the cover with his shoulders on Robert's shoulders, but Jake reverses it into a pin attempt of his own for a two count. DiBiase then locks on the Million Dollar Dream and goes to the mat, but Snake lands with his foot on the ropes. Million Dollar Man with a second rope double axe handle, but Roberts catches him in the gut, a clothesline, inverted atomic drop, another clothesline, a back body drop, a short arm clothesline. Ooh, what does that set up? And goes to pick DiBiase up for the DDT, but Virgil grabs his trunks from behind to pull him out of the ring. We've been getting DDT chance like throughout that whole like exchange between these two guys. The snake attacks Virgil, hits a body slam on the floor, and DiBiase rolls out to the floor as well and locks the dream on again. But Jake rams him into the ring post to escape. Virgil rolls Million Dollar Man back into the ring just as the bell rings. And the official announcement is Ted DiBiase by Countout. Mm-hmm. Post-match, Million Dollar Man and Virgil are celebrating in the ring with... With money. Cash. That's yeah, yeah, with money. They got, ca- they got cold, hard cash. When the snake finally rolls back in, hits a double clothesline on the two, and tosses Virgil into DiBiase to daze them both. And sends the money flying. Mm-hmm. Virgil grabs the belt, takes off running down the entryway, while Million Dollar Man hits an axe handle from behind. But Jake ends up hitting a DDT on Million Dollar Man. There's the DD pop, DDT pop. Even if Jake's loses, you gotta have a DDT. You can't have no, no DDT at WrestleMania. Exactly. That'd be crazy. Robertson starts picking up the money, handing it out to people around ringside, including Mary Tyler Moore. Yep, it's pretty great. I just love that he's... Picks up the money and it's like, oh, what a wonderful babyface thing to do. Back in the ring, Jake stuffs one of the bills into DiBiase's mouth. Ugh, so good. Goes to grab Damien, all while Virgil has run back out to pull Million Dollar Man out of the ring. Roberts then chases them to the back with Damien wrapped around his neck. Yeah, I was hoping that we might get a more Damien on the Damien near the heels, but you know, at least he got out the bag. We go to the locker room. Akeem and Slick are there with Sean Mooney. And Mooney is talking about the Twin Tower split mm-hmm. when Big Boss Man refused money from DiBiase. And I was like, what? What's going on? Like, we'll find out here in a minute. Slick says, money is what it's all about, brother. Yeah. And Million Dollar Man has given us a thousand reasons to act as judge, jury, and executioner. We then go to Boss Man, and he's in the back with Mean Gene. And Big Boss Man says, DiBiase is scum, and I don't take money from anybody. So we got our 12th match. Yep. Of Akeem with Slick versus Big Boss Man. The Twin Towers explode. Oh, is that what they say? No. No. They could have, you know. uh, They could have. Yeah. I mean, the Mega Powers exploded the year before. Might as well. Why not? Twin Towers. (laughs) Rough. So the story behind this match, I told you I would tell you. Mm-hmm. Bossman had handcuffed Jake Roberts, stealing the million-dollar belt, 
And when he went to give it to DiBiase, he realized that Million Dollar Man had paid Slick for his services. Bossman would freak out and inform the world he stood for law and order and couldn't be bought. So Bossman would turn the belt to Roberts and walk off a reformed man. So it ties into the previous match. Yeah, that's good. I wish they kind of would have told us all that. Yeah, they, they, uh, they, could have, they could have told us two things in the same video package. Yeah, they definitely they could have. Didn't. Yeah, come on. Like, yeah, that's really silly. I will say Slick's promo was pretty good. It was pretty good. I was like, damn, I did this things are the best Slick promo I've seen. So everybody's out at the ring, boss man's walking around ringside, when all of a sudden, Million Baller Man clotheslines him from behind, attacking him on the floor, slams his head on the apron, a body slam on the floor, an elbow drop, and then ran face first into the steel post, rolling him into the ring. So after the after the last match, Million Dollar Man just stayed out at ringside and hid under yeah under the ring under the ring until Boss Man got out there. I guess would just if they just informed us ahead of time. Yeah, it like, was like this would make a lot of sense. I mean, the only I mean, Boss Man did say DiBiase scum in his promo, but it was just still like it's like yeah, we yeah some a little bit a little bit more a little bit more give us a little bit more. Akeem continues the attack inside the ring and Irish whips. Bossman to the corner, followed by a clothesline for a near fall. Elbows to the head, smashing Big Bossman's back into the turnbuckle. Mounted punches, but Bossman attempts an inverted atomic drop, but drops a keen. I mean, he is 450 pounds. He so, is a big, big boy. And then hits a boot to knock him down. Bossman slams a keen's head into a turnbuckle and then keeps whipping him back and forth between corners until a clothesline knocks him down. Bossman then tosses Akeem to the ropes, misses a clothesline, but hits the Bossman slam on the return for the pin and the win. Post-match, Bossman grabs Slick, hits a big roundhouse right to send him to the floor. Just a fun squash match to get Bossman over as a face. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it worked in that respect, but... It was there. Yeah, I mean... Sean Mooney's then out in the crowd, and... Everyone's anticipating the new Rhythm and Blues song, right? I mean, yeah. I Hey, hey little boy, aren't you excited? And mm-hmm. he shits all over Rhythm and Blues. <laughs> yeah. And then he interviews a young girl, and she's like, she she actually knows the name of the song that they're going to sing, uh, which and, I was impressed and with. And what is the name of this song? I have no clue. Oh, I, you don't have it? I don't. It's like, no, it's called uh, Honky... Honky, honky, love, honky, it's honky, 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 honky love. love. Yeah, something like that. Sean Mooney then interviews Mary Tyler Moore. And she says she has all of Honky Tonk Man's albums. <sighs> but you could totally tell she had no clue what oh, she was talking about. There's no, yeah, there's no Honky Tonk albums anyway. <laughs> maybe on the, like, I don't know if the, if the like, maybe there's I, a song on the Piledriver records. Possibly. But. And then Howard Finkel announces Rhythm and Blues. And what do they come out in? They come out in a pink Cadillac. And whose pink Cadillac is that? I'm assuming it's Honky Tonk Man's. Well, yeah, but like in real life. You don't... I mean, are they trying to tell us that it's Elvis's? No, no. I'm saying like in real life. Oh, I don't know oh it's, uh, it's actually belongs to uh, DDP and he got paid to drive it from his house all the way to Canada and drive it out. So DDP's oh, driving it. So I guess that's why he's the driver. Right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that's why he's yeah. the driver. No, he he actually that's actually like his car and uh, ah. they you know called in a favor cuz 
paid him, but he had to drive it. I think from I think he lived in Florida or something. I don't know, but he drove drove from there all the way to Canada wow. in like a fifties pink Cadillac. At least that's the uh, the story. Rhythm and Blues starts performing "Hunky Hunky Hunky Love." Performing with Jimmy Hart and the Honkettes. Yes, uh, the Honkettes. I don't know if that's actually what they were called. <laughs> that, or not. I think that's what they call them, but it's really funny. We get I'm Val- ready, honky. We get Valentine singing very badly during playing an unplugged guitar. It's mostly yeah. It's really funny to watch him play the unplugged guitar because he's obviously never held one, and he's. You can tell he just fucking hates it. <laughs> he hates he's everything like, he's doing the, right now. Why the fuck am I here? It's like, yeah, I hope my payday is decent. Uh, but like the Jimmy Hart and the girls are doing most of the singing, and like oh, even yeah. even Valentine can't like get the his like one line like cue on, on yeah on yeah. and like and Jimmy. Honky's way off. Like Honky Talk Man can't can't even sing his own damn song. I'm sure Jimmy Hart wrote the song. Uh, well, I'm- I wouldn't be surprised if it's an old Gentry song that he just repurposed. <laughs> that's what Jimmy Hart did, was just repurpose a bunch of old Gentry songs all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that, but that's awesome. I knew that he wrote a lot of stuff for WWE and like co-wrote with other people, that, yeah. whoever else was hired at the time. So all of a sudden there's a couple people on the outside like selling programs or pictures or something. Yeah. Don't really know who it is, and all wow. of a sudden... They take their hats off. It's the Bushwhackers. Uh, cue the Bushwhackers song that I don't like. And they jump in the ring as mm-hmm. Rhythm and Blues escapes the ring. And then they smash the guitars. Yep. And that was that segment. Yes. I mean, it's probably better than a match. Definitely better than a match. <laughs> but we know we'll see one at some point. <laughs> yeah. Gorilla and Jesse talk about the attendance, while which the Fink then announces to the crowd as well. Yeah. 67,678. Do they want you to know? They always want you to know how many people. We got our 13th match Ravishing Rick Rude with Bobby the Brain Heenan versus Jimmy Superfly Snooka. Brudda. And Steve Allen joins the commentary booth for this match. Uh, We're getting getting ready to start, and Rude attacks from behind as Snooka is fixing his knee pads. The Ravishing One tosses Superfly to the ropes, falls with a dropkick, but Snooka holds on to the ropes. So Rude misses. Superfly with a back body drop does some ravishing dancing. Hits another back body drop. More dancing. A jumping headbutt. And then a drop kick to send Rude to the floor. And then Snooko looks like a clenched fist. He's like the, like the, he's like the thickest dude ever. It's, he looks crazy. The ravishing one's up on the apron. Gives a shoulder block and goes for a sunset flip. But Snooka stays up and punches down. Superfly with a toss to the ropes, but ducks his head, allowing Rude to hit a DDT, do some real ravishing dancing, mm-hmm. and then slams Snooka's head on a turnbuckle, hits a back body drop, and tosses Jimmy to the ropes, but ducks his head, and Superfly face plants him. Rude's running the ropes, Snooka with the leapfrog, a flying headbutt to knock the ravishing one down, and goes to the top rope. But Rick is up, so Superfly leaps over him, hits a body slam, and goes to the second rope for a falling headbutt. But Rude moves. C-T-E. Rude then picks him up, hits the Rude Awakening for the pin and, and the win. win. And Steve Allen was there. 
Uh, he didn't say a whole lot, but he did say that he liked. I mean, this match was only like four, four minutes long. Yeah, and like, yeah. not but a he whole did lot say that he liked uh, he liked Jimmy Snuka's. Uh, he liked Jimmy Snuka, uh, Snuka and asked why he was wearing his wife's underwear. <laughs> That's like the the probably he probably made other jokes, but that was the best one. We then go to a video package. Starting in Royal Rumble 90, we see Warrior and Hogan staring each other down. No selling shoulder tackles, taking each other down with clotheslines. Saturday night main event, perfect and genius attack both men. Hogan accidentally gets clotheslined by Warrior. Oh yeah, when they exchange the stare. Main event three, Earthquake's about to hit a splash on Warrior when Hulk comes down to the ring to protect Warrior and hits a right hand to send Earthquake to the outside. And then Warrior and Hogan stare each other down once again. And then on Superstars, Earthquake hits the splash on Hogan this time. And Warrior comes to the ring, clotheslines Earthquake to clear the ring. Earthquake's getting the having to do the dirty work for these two guys. Oh yeah. Hogan ends up pushing Warrior off, and Warrior starts running the ropes when Hogan gets in his path. But Warrior stops before giving him a clothesline. Hogan turns and realizes what was about to happen, and Warrior just takes off running back to the locker room. <laughs> Warrior doesn't walk anywhere. No, he does not. <laughs> the man's a runner. And then we get what we all came for. Oh, yeah. The, the ultimate challenge? 14th match. The main event, Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan for the WWF Championship and the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Is that true? Belt for belt. Belt, but whoever wins gets both belts. Uh, yeah, but, but belt for belt makes it sound like it's like oh we'll swap. Hogan <laughs> wins the Intercontinental. It's like ah, yeah. This is the first time they've ever done that, right? I believe the, it's the first titles. time in WWF that they have ever done it. I'd imagine so. I mean, they may have done it before, but. I don't think... It would have been like Backland days or something? No, it's never happened before. Yeah. I just checked one of my other notes. Okay, it's like it's it's got to be the first time. So the two men are staring each other down until a shoving match starts. They lock up multiple times, each getting the advantage at one point to send the other to the corner. They do a test of strength next, and they are evenly matched until Warrior finally gets Hogan to his knees. Mm -hmm. The Hulk starts fighting his way back and gets Warrior to his knees. And the greatest gift of all time comes for this moment because Warrior starts shaking his head as he's on his knees. Oh, yeah? You like this? I'm not saying that I like it. <laughs> I'm just saying that... And it's, a pretty, yeah. it's, a, it's a gift we've all probably it's seen. It's a gift we've all seen. Yeah. Warrior starts to fight back to his feet, but Hogan with a leg sweep and hits in an elbow drop. Hulk with a scoop slam, but Warrior is right back to his feet. Warrior then does a scoop slam and clotheslines Hogan over the ropes to the floor. Uh-oh, Hulk's knee is hurt on the outside, and he's limping around, and he can't seem to put any weight on it. No, he can't. Should we stop the match? Hogan says no. Of course not. You can't let the little, the little Hulksters down, the little maniacs. Warrior rolls Hogan back into the ring, going after the knee. The two men trading eye rakes, choking at each other until they get on the ropes. The ref's trying to separate them, but Warrior hits a cheap shot which Hebner begins to admonish him for. This allows Hulk time to recuperate and starts lying in right hands on Warrior. Irish whip followed by a clothesline, mounted punches, a body slam, 
Multiple elbow drops for a near fall. Gorilla's trying to cover for Hogan not selling the knee is astounding here. He says, the kneecap must have slipped back into place. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. I really, like, the knee bullshit kind of took me out of the match for a because I was enjoying it quite a bit, and then the knee thing kind of took me out for a second. I was like, Ugh. Like, come on, bro. Yeah. Just sell the knee. Yeah, it's either do it or do it or don't. We get a small package by the Hulkster, that's what she said, mm. for a two count. I oh, know, I never saw the video. Knee lift. Chops, right hands, clothesline, another two count. Backbreaker, reverse chin lock to wear down Warrior. Knees into the back, a back suplex. Back to the chin lock, but Warrior starts to... War up? Ultimate up? Oh, yeah. War up, whichever. <laughs> Elbows to escape the hold. Both men clothesline each other for the double <sighs> KO spot. Both men back up. Hulk hits Warrior's back with the double axe handles, but Warrior is no selling. Warrior hits a chest butt, because he he didn't hit the head. No. A big roundhouse right, multiple clotheslines, a chop, tossing Hulk back and forth from corner to corner, hits a suplex, and locks on a bear hug. (sighs) The bear hug. And, like, Warrior hits a dickload of clotheslines. Hogan begins to Hulk up, escapes with rabbit punches. Warrior's running the ropes and ducks a clothesline, and Hogan drops to the mat. So the warrior runs into the ref, sending him flying. Ref bump. Warrior goes to the top rope, coming off with a double axe handle multiple times. Goes for a flying headbutt, but Hulk moves out of the way, causing Warrior to crash to the mat. Hogan gets a visual eight count before trying to wake the ref up, but Warrior hits a back suplex from behind. A visual eight count. (laughs) Just in case. Warrior then gets a visual eight count <laughs> as well, but Hebner's still out until Warrior slaps him. <laughs> that's a way to that's a way to do it. Warrior goes for another cover. One, two. Hogan gets his shoulder up. Hulk pokes Warrior's eye, rolls him up with a small package, but the ref is out of position, so only a two count. Hogan with right hands, back elbow to send Warrior to the floor. Hulk falls out to continue the attack, each trying to slam the other's head into the ring post, but Warrior hits a headbutt. Warrior then rams Hogan into the still post before before rolling him back into the ring. Warrior with a clothesline, a press slam, and the Warrior splash for the pin, and no! Hulk starts hulking up again. He's getting stronger. No selling right hands, wagging the finger, giving right hands, Irish whip to hit the big boot. Off the ropes for the leg... No! Warrior moves! Warrior splash for the pin! And the win! And new! Post-match. Hogan's yelling that it was only two. (laughs) It wasn't. No, sir. It was three. And he leaves the ring, but is still at ringside. He then grabs the belt. He's tearing up. Oh, we get emo, emo, Hulk. And then he goes back into the ring and presents the belt, raises Warrior's arm, and gives him a hug. Warrior shows his respect as Hogan is leaving, and then we get fireworks as Warrior continues to celebrate. And I love that uh, Girl Monsoon says, uh, Hogan has just taken one big step towards immortality. And then like says like he does believe Hulkamania will live forever, and getting Ventura, chills just saying it. Ventura actually gives props to him as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, it's... 
it is a big it's a big deal. Hulk's been on. I mean, like Macho Man had that small stint, but it's basically been it went chic Hulk Hogan for like a decade with like a blip of Macho Man. Well, for like three years, the year that he was gone to film the movie, yeah, that Macho was champ, and then Hulk now until 1990. Yeah, so literally six of the last seven years he's been the champ. So Warrior is the first person to ever hold the world and intercontinental title at the same time. Also, can we talk about that intercontinental title with the yellow strap? It looks cool. It does look cool. It looks cool for Warrior. Not for everybody, but it looks cool. No, not for everyone. And this would be the only clean loss that Hogan would have since 1983. Jesus. That's a... That's like... Yeah. That's almost a decade of a company just on on your shoulders. Exactly. Gorilla and Jesse say their goodbyes. Uh, the Hulk, Hulk looking back at the ring, is yeah. He's in the car and he like yeah, like keeps looking back at the ring, like crossing his arms, like showing his showing his respect mm-hmm. to Warrior. Warrior's doing the same in the ring. And I'm wrong. Jesse was the one that said, "I do believe Hulk." Made okay, it. I was like, I thought Jesse. No, said no. That, Grill but... Monsoon said that he just took one uh, big step toward immortality, and then Jesse says that he believes that Hulkmania will live forever. And uh, the show ends pretty emotionally. It does. So I got a I got a fun fact for us. All right. Edge, Christian, Lance Storm, <laughs> Renee Young, and actor Stephen Amell have all said they were in the crowd for this show. They're all Canadian. They're all Canadian. Yeah. But I do have one sad fact, and this is the one that's going to break your heart. This would be Jesse Ventura's oh, yeah. last I know. I knew for this. the WWF. It's a bummer. But, you know, we got him I got him got my team back for for a moment. Got him back for a moment. Yeah. And now they're all gone again. It's okay. Jesse can't be on every show. So Michael Temple. Yeah. What are your overall thoughts of WrestleMania six? Uh it's a lot of nothing and like three and a half good matches. Really? I mean it's really fun. It's a super fun show, but it's just kind of, it's really weird when the best, one of the best matches on the show is like the Knicks tag match. Well, that doesn't surprise me at all, because it's Well, macho. I mean, it's, it's Macho and, and Dusty, but like, there's not a whole lot of like, great like work, you yeah, know what I mean? I, there's no great work, work rate matches on the show. There's like some some moments, like the Orient Express and... Um, the rockers, they're, it's not. That's it doesn't probably, happen very that's long. That's technically probably the best work rate. Yeah, match yeah, of the but show. it's only like half a match. Like half of that match is great, and then it's whatever. But like literally, other than a couple of the non finishes, like the Piper Brown. I mean, it's WrestleMania, and we know that it's going to be a bunch of short stuff to get people on the show. Yeah. And it's, but it's going to be fun. You're going to see. Like everybody. I wish DiBiase and Roberts had had a, a finish. Yeah, and that match was great. Like and it, it was good. I am right there with you. I thought the show was. Fun. It's very fun, yes. Well, I, I didn't when I say nothing, I mean like nothing of substance. Fun, but it was fun. It was like it's like popcorn. It's like oh, like like yeah. I'm, I just I, ate a whole bag of it, but like, we, can we go in, get dinner now? <laughs> like literally, other than the Piper moment where I was cringing, yeah, I was enjoying the show completely. No, it's super fun. It like, was super fun. Uh, nothing, super nothing lasts watch. too long, which is pretty impressive. We're not always used to that, especially 
I mean, WWF is normally like, keeps we, it moving have, a little bit have, more. We have, like, WWF and NWA, WCW are, like, complete opposites in what they do. Yes. Almost. Mm-hmm. WWF puts a lot of matches on, but they keep them quick, relatively short. Fun. And, and fun and quick. Yeah. While NWA, WCW, we've complained a lot of times that... It's like, like this was good, but it was too long. Yeah. Good match, but if you just were to cut it by a few minutes... Like, it would just be that then, much Yeah, better. then it could be, like, memorable. Exactly. And, but they usually have, like, half the amount of matches. Like, this oh, this yeah. show had 14 matches. Yeah. While... And some of them, like, it's like, <laughs> like... And one of them, yeah, I guess you could even call it 15. Because, like, the Rhythm and Blues thing was... Because there was a segment. It wasn't a match, but that segment was longer than some of the matches. While, like, Wrestle War that we covered last week had... Like seven or eight seven, matches. Seven matches. That seems to be their their number at the time. Yeah, it's like right seven it's like matches. Seven, eight. Oh. So it's like, granted, that show was probably a little short. This is WrestleMania, so it's pretty long. Yeah, this ma- this show is longer than the normal. But yeah, either way, it's still they still are shorter, shorter matches in WWF. But as I was finishing watching the show, I was like, I remember watching Warrior Hogan growing up. I I, I actually think that yeah. it might have this tape. Yeah, might have been one of the first tapes I ever watched because I remember watching this Warrior Hogan match growing up, and popped as much watching it now as you did then as I did when I was a kid. I hadn't seen it before. I'd seen you know highlights and stuff. Like I I had I I had the like best of WrestleMania tape as a kid and stuff like that. But the yeah this match this last match I had a really good time watching. I didn't expect to pop like I did. I mean, I, I knew Warrior won. I mean, yeah. I knew going in that Warrior won. But I was still like that in that final couple minutes of the match. I did where, too. I mean, do you, do the, the ultimate challenge didn't uh, kind of give it away? I guess that doesn't really give well, it away. Because th- th- what else would you call it? But I mean, like literally Hogan is going. It's the first time I think anyone's ever moved on the leg drop. And as soon as he moved, I was just like. Ah, that's what I, I yeah I you're like yeah like, oh, I was just like oh shit yeah like, and you get the warrior splash like because he does a splash earlier in that match but it's to his back or whatever and then he, well, he does like, it splash. earlier but warrior uh, but Hogan gets his shoulder up yeah okay, okay and then after he misses the leg drop he does the splash again for the pin finally but yeah like I think we're both in agreement match or the show super fun yeah totally definitely watch I mean if you haven't ever watched Warrior Hogan yeah you definitely need to go watch that match I agree completely. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So, other than Warrior and Hogan. Yeah. What are some of the other best moments of the night? Dusty and Sapphire uh, with the crown jewel. Miss Elizabeth versus... Crown uh, jewel boogie, mm, boogie and the crown jewel boogie. And then uh, Macho King and Queen Cherry was a fucking blast. I loved that whole thing. And, you know, they show the stuff that they've been doing with Sapphire. They've been so, so mean that, like, everybody, the crowd is hot for it. I'm hot for it. I want to see Macho and Sherry get it. And they do. And then Liz adds the whole extra layer to it. And it's a blast. Andre going out in the cart as a face with the crowd cheering. That's a a great moment. I, it's one of those moments that I was kind of like, good for you. Yeah. Like, I was like, I'm glad they did that. For him that way. I, I mean, they weren't 
they were not planning on that being no one was planning on that being his last match. Yeah, it's just kind of it the just kind of happened. Uh, I, yeah. I think he worked some more house shows after that, but he was just kind of like after after a little while he was just like I can't do this anymore. Yeah, the uh, Haku Haku Haku's worked his, that entire match. Yeah, he worked that entire match, and he, Haku's great. And it's like oh, like who who else can who can we put with Andre? They can actually pick up that load, and uh, Haku deserves props for uh, doing it and doing it very well. Agreed. And then Jake, Million Dollar Man. It's, it's great. The ending I, I is like a little passing, whatever. I love the passing out of the money at the end. Yeah, that's really fun. But like, it's just, and, and that he hit the DDT on DiBiase because usually that spot is DiBiase escapes the ring and the valet. Yeah, and Virgil, and Virgil, gets Virgil it. takes the DDT. But it was like it's like okay, well, like give this crowd, you know. Million Dollar Man finally getting his, but I would love I would love to see a clean finish match between DiBiase and Jake Roberts because they're both so good and yeah. their psychology is so good and just like oh I could watch you know a nice 12, 15 minute match with those guys a la like Steamboat Macho Man where they like just really go at it and do I know I think they could put on a match that good if if they were given the time to do it. How about anything disappointing on this show? Uh, Piper. Yeah, the Piper thing. Piper thing was definitely. It was like, eh, well, all right. I we don't need. I don't like this. What does this do for anybody? Well, Outside of it, just makes you know you look bad. Makes the company kind of makes the company yeah, look bad. Makes the company it's look just kind of yeah, it's just kind of gross. The decision to put Beefcake over Perfect. Oh yeah, I forgot about that, and I shouldn't have, but I might have just. Tried to forget it because it was. I was just like, "What is? What are you doing here?" I mean, and Perfect's not an amazing promo. So, Maybe he wasn't getting so over. Everything, it. it didn't seem like he was getting over. No, the I think crowd the everything was that they were they were building towards continuing that feud. And if Perfect just can, keeps beating up Beefcake, then you don't really have a feud. So yeah, someone. Well, had, I think they probably just gave up on Perfect being a uh, contender for the heavyweight belt. Because maybe he wasn't getting over, and they're like, okay, Hogan wasn't gonna give it over, give it to him. So, but I mean, also he wasn't getting over like Warrior was. I feel like, but but so it just sucks because Mr. Perfect is awesome. It just didn't work out exactly. And to lose to Beefcake is just kind of extra shitty because it's Brutus Beefcake. I mean, I know you didn't. You wanted more Heart Foundation. Yeah, but it's. I mean, it's in Canada, but they'll get their time. Knowing that it was in, in Canada, Canada yeah. That, yeah, they probably should. I was like, oh, like, I, I expected it to now be... Now that you say that, I'm like... I think I was disappointed because I expected it to be a match because we were in Canada, but whatever. Get everybody on the show. It made exactly. them... They still looked strong, so... They looked very strong. I mean, yeah, extremely strong. Was, how long did you say it was? Like 18, 18 seconds? 18 seconds. <laughs> yeah. So who do you think best performer of the night is? I don't know. Everybody, like, all the people that I... Enjoyed, I, mean, I enjoyed a lot. I think the two best matches are definitely Hogan Warrior and the mixed tag. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know who my favorite was. Sherry did a lot. Sherry did match. do a lot, for sure. So, I mean, because she had to sell for Sapphire, which... Sherry and Hogan, probably, like, Probably she's... the most difficult thing to do on yeah. this entire show. We, we all know the energy of Macho Man is just, like... Leaps and bounds above anybody else, and Sherry really does meet him there when she's doing the like Macho King stuff with him. Like she's Absolutely. running, she's jumping up and down and screaming in the background of promos, and like she she kind of is like right there with him. And I don't think a lot of people can do that. 
or could have done that in a such a like believable and fun way. So I would definitely say she was an unsung hero yeah. of the show. I have to give it to Hogan. Yeah, Hogan. On, on this one, just because, like I said, it's 30 years later, and I still popped Yeah, for the match. So knowing... Knowing that that happened, the the match the match was great. It was yeah, it was really good. I mean, it's definitely probably my it's at this point my favorite Hogan match that I've ever watched. I mean, even better than this the Savage one. Yeah, those two. The Savage one was probably better worked, but this match was a more entertaining and a little, a little more emotional. Yeah, exactly. Anything surprising on this show? Oh, back to best performance, real fast. Okay. Another unsung one, Steve Allen. Steve, yeah, Steve, Steve Allen was really fun. Yeah. Like, because the, like, backstage segments and stuff, without him, were pretty flat. Anything surprising? How yeah. bad they've turned Hercules into a jobber? Uh, yeah, but I never I mean, really expected... Still, I think we were both surprised at Perfect Lost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely, it's disappointing, yeah. but it's also surprising as well. I guess that's the, the biggest surprise. Like, some of the stuff, like, some of the matches that going by so quick was a little surprising, but... I know they're just it's trying to get everybody. It's WrestleMania, the, yeah. Trying to get everybody on the show, yeah. I was not surprised that Warrior won, but you know, How, what wrestling fan doesn't know the Warrior wins at WrestleMania six? Very true. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The dusty finish. After holding the belt for over three years, Gene Kaniski would drop the NWA World Heavyweight Championship to Dory Funk Jr. on February 11th, 1969 in Tampa, Florida, when Funk would put on a spinning toehold for the submission. Dory would then hold the belt for over four years. Dory Funk Jr., born February 3rd, 1941 in Indiana to Hall of Fame wrestler Dory Funk. Funk Jr. would make his debut in 1963 in Amarillo, Texas out of his father's promotion, Western State Sports. Demonstrating a hard-hitting style, using uppercut forearm smashes, suplexes, leg locks, even being credited with the invention of the Texas Cloverleaf Submission Hold, Dory would work his way through Florida, Missouri, and Japan before winning the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. He would hold the belt uninterrupted for the second longest reign in history. Through the years, Dory Funk Jr. would make his name in NWA, WWF, ECW, WCW, and All Japan Wrestling, with his last match being in 2017 at the age of 76. He runs the Funking Conservatory Professional Wrestling School, which has trained such wrestlers as the Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian, Kurt Angle, and Ted DiBiase. For his accomplishments and contributions to the sport, Dory Funk Jr. has been elected to the NWA, Professional Wrestling, WWE, Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Hall of Fames. Next week, Capital Combat. The return of RoboCop? What's he coming back from? Uh, RoboCop, the first one. One. RoboCop 1, I guess. It's weird to call a movie 1 when it's just called RoboCop. It's like, from the... from. Returning from Robocop. Robocop's returning from Robocop. Isn't that Robocop 2. Isn't that what Robocop 2 is? He's returning? Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, Robocop so 2. Technically, Cap- so, but Capital Combat came out for Robocop 2. Yes. So it's the true sequel. He's returning. 
uh, to DC from Detroit. No, he was in Detroit <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. first one. Yeah, is yeah. he in Detroit in the second one? Yeah, too? yeah, I'm pretty sure all three of them take place in Detroit. That's what I thought too. I mean, the second I've seen the first one a bunch. It's a personal favorite of mine. The second one's not good, but I like it. And the third one I haven't seen since I was a kid. Because Peter Weller's not even in the third one. I don't one. think I've ever seen the third one, and I don't ever plan to. Uh, I think he flies. Nancy Allen shows up in the third one, but Peter Weller does not. So is it really RoboCop? It's also PG-13. RoboCop's about ultraviolence. That's right. It is. It's, it's about a lot of things. It's a lot about a lot of things. He's American exactly. Jesus. So the music from this week's show, we get the WrestleMania 6 theme, which is Jim Johnston's grand spectacle. It was a grand spectacle. And <laughs> Warrior won, so no real American this week. No, first time in a, in we a get bit. get Unstable by Jim Johnston as well. That's a wonderful name for a Warrior song. <laughs> so if you like this show or any of our other shows, you can always rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. You can email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter, where we're always tweeting away about this and that. Wrestling. At Wrestling Histo X. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week.